Sing, I will sing forever. Isn't that a great thought? I will sing forever. He's forever. Why shouldn't I sing forever? <laughs> Hope that encouraged your heart this morning as the worship team ushered us into the presence of Lord this morning. Nick just said that that we he likes this we would be a house of prayer. He also said that as we prayed, all oh, that people would come to the saving grace of Jesus in this community. This is God's purpose to change people's lives. Our part in it as believers is to keep the fire burning and to shed it abroad the hearts of those who will hear. Josh was teaching on some while ago to keep the lamp burning, to keep the, the flame lit. Don't let it go out. And this morning, I should say greetings to everybody here and to the simulcast people, and I'm assuming we're on live stream, so bless you guys out there too. So this morning, our, our text is, leans towards a dedicated service and really, it's a radical decision that's made in the heart of a believer. Our text this morning is from Romans chapter 12, in that how we can walk in a meaningful and full life of being in Christ. So we're going to start by reading those verses, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And I'm reading from the New American Standard. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that it is rich in you, Lord, and that we can draw near to that word, Lord, in the Spirit, because you have provided Holy Spirit for us to do that in your word. So, Father, we ask your anointing on your word, your purposes be accomplished through the messenger, Lord Jesus, in your ways. Amen. So, we start with a summary of what happened before chapter 12. And right about this time, there was Jewish and both Gentile Christians in the, in the city of Rome and in the neighbor, neighboring area in about 57 AD. I get a little bit of feedback going on here. I can hear it a little bit. Thanks. And uh, what's interesting about this is Paul wrote this letter to the Roman believers from Corinth, and he's, he had every intention of going there. But also what's interesting is that in Acts chapter 10, it records that there were visitors from Rome who were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. That's pretty exciting. They were there during the outpouring and the baptism and of and by the Holy Spirit. 
And what happened is some who were likely converted from Judaism to follow in this new religion, brand new, the way. Something that hadn't been on the street before. It was the way. And it's plausible that these early believers could have returned to Rome to establish the early church there, and thus being the founders in the church of Rome. Now, God inspired, or he witnessed even to Paul to write to these believers in Rome for a clear purpose of helping the saints in their journey of maturing in the Lord. We also know Paul had clear intention to go beyond Rome. He was talking about going to Spain and other westerly regions of the area. And, uh, <clears throat> to, and so when we look at that, it stands to reason that Paul may have even had the idea in his mind to set up Rome as a missionary base. If you look at Romans 15, 24, you'll, you'll see some implication or some indication of that. So it was about seven or eight years later, after A.D. 57, 58, when Paul went there, and also Peter was there too, and that both Paul and Peter were martyred in Rome. And both were there during those years, helping the church to grow and abound in the Lord's way. Uh, Paul was beheaded during Nero's persecution, and Peter was crucified upside down. So you think about it, from the time of Jesus in 33 AD to this time in 57, 58 AD, they had 27 years of pretty intense years of ministry for Jesus. This was still the brand new way. It had some intensity to it. It had some drive to it. And to do this, they really needed the infilling of the Holy Spirit. All right? So we're talking about this theme in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Well, if you look at the blueprint, so to speak, of the whole book of Romans, you will see that chapter 1 through 11, really, Paul is driving home what to believe. And in chapter 12 and onward, he then says, okay, this is how we should behave. So let's do a summary here of 1 through 11. And I'm not going to cover everything. It's just going to be kind of uh, a summation. One of the first things we should see right away that is we are to recognize that salvation is reality. Number two, that righteousness is a reality. And number three, that doing life as a believer is a reality. Now, he amplifies in these first 11 chapters what to believe. And uh, in, the, in my Bible, I'm going to take some of the headings here. And one of the first ones I run across is the gospel exalted. Right off the bat, verse 1, cha uh, chapter 1, verse 1, it talks about the gospel of God. And a few verses down again, it talks about the gospel of the Son. And he skips over to, uh, in 5, 5, 5, he gives us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. This is some of the teaching that Paul was amplifying to the believers at that time. 8.16, it's the gospel of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself. 8.26.27 says the Spirit himself intercedes for us, the role being the nurturer, the caregiver, the comforter, the helper, the advocate who comes alongside. 
And still there's other things. He provides the believer with the assurance that we have sonship in him. He provides the release that we can be set free from bondage in 8, chapter 8, verse 2. He provides that we can, there have an, there's an effectiveness in prayer when we yoke with the Holy Spirit. We see that in chapter 8 as well. And then we find that we experience, have experience in the love of God. And he provides the joy of the spiritual life. So it's the Holy Spirit that provides the dynamo or the dynamite for the Christian service that we see. In chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, Paul says this, For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the signs of power, of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and all around as far as Elyricum, I have preached the gospel of Christ. Other headings that will pop up throughout your reading of that particular part of Romans is you'll see the impartiality of God. He doesn't hold back anybody from coming to know him. He doesn't say, he doesn't, he doesn't recognize race. He doesn't recognize uh, if we have a different ethnicity. He doesn't recognize if we have a different language. He's impartial. The house of God is welcome to everyone, to all the nations. The Jews were condemned by the law. He taught about that. He recognized, as we know, that all the world is guilty. There isn't a nation in this world that is not guilty. And that there's justification by faith evidenced in the Old Testament and the results of that. We know that believers are dead to sin and we're alive to God and we're united with this one, Jesus Christ, that we've been singing about. We're united with him. We also know that we, he teaches that our victory is in Christ. And that he even so, he has a very yet, very much a deep concern for Israel. And that this word, of, this word of faith here, because we take a faith walk in it, leads us to salvation. And then he says that Israel is not cast away. Do you know what chapter 11 says there? It says, he talks about, we know that the vine and the root are one. He's talking about Israel and that the root is holy, and Israel comes from that. Now, us, who are Gentiles, I don't know if anybody's here, you're a Jewish, at heritage or something like that, that's wonderful. I'm not, I don't think I am anyway. And, uh, but I'm, so I'm one of those Gentile guys, okay? So I come from that wild olive branch that's being grafted in to this holy branch. That's pretty awesome, okay? And why does he allow that? Scripture says he's going to just make the, our brothers and sisters in Israel just a little bit jealous, okay? And um, so those branches got removed because of their sin. But we are also told not to be proud or arrogant in this position. 
because God is gracious, because God is merciful. In verse 23, it says that God is able to graft them in again if they leave their unbelief. That's a wonderful thing. So now we come to the place where we're talking about in chapter 12 through to 16 of how do we behave in this relationship that we have here. And we can see that Paul is not only an an apostle, he's a preacher too. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) But he has a pastor's heart to see the early church equipped with carrying the message of hope this gospel with godly understanding and a sense of urgency. Now, I want to read Romans 12, 1 and 2 again, but I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version. This is what it says. And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs. Sounds like today, huh? But be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually. Not physically, not emotionally, but spiritually in him. By the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the will of God. Prove for yourselves what is the word the will of God for yourself, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and in his purpose for you and me. He called the early Christian followers in Rome to make a radical decision. And you know what? That call has not changed in the Church of Christ today around the world. The call is still there to make a radical... When we come to the Lord, some people maybe come with a ho-hum attitude about it, but some people get radically changed, radically. And so they make a 160-degree turn, and they definitely go the other way. And that call is still for us today, to make that kind of change. On Good Friday, Josh walked us through the reality of what it was like for Christ to initiate God's redemptive plan for all the nations of the world. But you know what? Isaiah, he also gave a warning in uh, 28, 16 to those hearing the gospel. He says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. So for the unbelief, it is a stumbling block. It is an offense. Do we have that happening today? How many people do you know in your circle of community, whether it's at work or whether it's at home or whether it's at uh, some other function, that know and believe in Jesus Nick just identified 400 and some people out of this whole community of 17,000 people in our RM are like that church this morning, worshiping God. There's a whole bunch, 16,600 that aren't. 
But we who follow him, we will not be put to shame. We will, the New Living Translation says we will not be disgraced. So make that radical change in a dedicated service to God. At the beginning of my Bible, in verse 12 and verse 1, the very first word I run across is therefore. And this therefore provides a connection between the first 11 chapters and 12 and beyond. And this connection is particularly close with Romans 6.13, which says, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and to offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. And if you drop down just a little bit to the 19th verse, Paul says this, I'm using an example of everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteous leading to holiness. You know, there's a call after that word, therefore. Paul begins with the phrase, I urge you to his readers. Instead of just simply instructing them, he says, I urge you. And he's calling them to give themselves fully to the Lord, no matter what the challenge is. Give, operative words, identifier words, give fully, give fully. And the word urge in the Greek is parakalito, paraka, parakalio. And para means by the side, and kalio means to call. So this is to call to one side and be of aid. That's what he's telling us in this thing. I urge you, come alongside and be of aid. But not just to anyone's aid. Paul is essentially saying there's only one way for the believer, and that's to come alongside with Jesus. And how do we do that? Well, first of all, he says, by the mercies of God. Mercies. In my Bible, it's plural. And it means the root of that word in the Greek is to exercise pity. Commentators say that this should be singular. It doesn't, it, the, the plural doesn't apply. The NIV actually says it that way. It says, in the view of God's mercy. Not by the God's, uh, mercies of God, but in the view of God's mercy. So I thought, why? So I looked it up. And the Hebrew word, rahamin, is R-A-H-A-M-I-N, is what they call a, an intensive plural, meaning it's to the great degree. This mercy is to the great degree. It so speaks that this is a major meaning of great mercy or compassion. This is typical, yet huge, and powerful characteristic of God. Josh talks about the characteristics of God. This mercy is one of the big ones, huge. And it moves him so much as to avoid the judgment of sin that is deserved by humanity. It really magnifies the saving grace of Jesus that is active 
and alive in the life dedicated to him. Hmm. So what, we, what, what happens now? Well, he says, by the mercy of God. What am I to do with that? Present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. This is a comprehensive phase, uh, phrase. It's inclusive. It's, it's encompassing. And it, it, it's, it arrives at this identification in the aorist infinitive nature. And it means a simple action, not a linear, not progressive. It does not signify a time of action such as a week. When am I supposed to do this? This week? Two weeks from now? Three weeks from now? When I'm 50 years old, when I'm about to die? Well, not 50. <laughs> I'm already past that. <laughs> but rather, uh, the idea is that we should be bringing, I should be bringing, you should be bringing your offering to the Lord. That's ourselves. And all that we are at all times. Thank you, Lord. It's really his heart's desire. You know what, you know what 1 Corinthians 6.20 6, 20 says? For you have been bought with a price, for price, therefore glorify God in your body. We're talking about the body now. This is part of it. Present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. That's another little wonderful word in the Greek of samara and himon. And it's a language reflective of temple sacrifices, but in the Hebraic, in the Hebraic, he, let me get my mouth around that, Hebraic view, it goes a little further. The word body stands for the whole body. Now, the original text doesn't use this word body, but instead it says parts of your body or your members and yourselves, your members and yourselves. So both are what the believer is to present to God for his service. Our members in our body, whether it's ourselves or whether it's the community of the church, and ourselves with it is service unto the Lord. Paul is not urging the dedication of the body as an entity distinct from the inner self. But rather he views the body as a vehicle that implements the desires and the choices of a redeemed spirit. So we want to remember that 6.13 says, do not offer any part of yourself in sin as an instrument toward, into wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from dead to life. And offer every part of yourself as an instrument of righteousness. Think for a moment. I want to just think if, you've, if you're in that capacity and we've done that. Can you imagine yourself for a moment Saturday morning? You come staggering out from the bedroom in the morning in your night clothes. And you're rubbing your eyes. And you say, here am I, Lord. but I really need a cup of coffee. And I can imagine God in his understanding and wisdom and view. Okay, go get your cup of coffee. And so he sees us 
trotting off to put on the kettle or whatever it is to get our cup of coffee. And he watches because he's interested. What are you going to do next? He's watching. Holy Spirit's watching. What are you going to do next? And he watches this. Me or you get the cup of coffee and we walk over, park ourselves in that favorite chair that we've got. Everybody's got a favorite chair. And yeah, roll up the blind and there's the window and you're looking up and the sun's just coming up over the sunrise there. And uh, you reach over and you pick up your favorite Bible. And you have your coffee set right over here, that great cup of coffee. You know what he says? As he, I'm thinking, as he looks over to Jesus, as he looks over to Holy Spirit, you know what he says? You see my son? You see my daughter? This is what they're doing. Spirit to spirit. Spirit to spirit. This is your beautiful sacrifice, brothers and sisters. Endeavor to walk. Well, I want to just mention here, the Revised English Bible offers an interesting translation for that particular scripture of 6.13. He says, to, or rather Romans 1, to offer your very selves the worship offered by mind and heart. So we're encouraged to walk under his guidance. But the decision is costly. It's a radical change for us to make that kind of commitment, that kind of step. Unbelievers can't understand this kind of dedication. They, have no, they can't wrap their minds around it and the love that's there and all of that. But we get to the place here where he says, how, where do we, where are we gonna, how are we going to look like as living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God? Malachi 1.8 says, speaks of the necessity of the priest being consecrated, clean from sin, before giving sacrifice to the Lord. And also the sacrifice itself must be pleasing, not defiled in any way. But we know that the Old Testament, that sacrifice is dead. It's not alive. But in the New Testament, we know that the sacrifice is lively. The New Testament, we offer ourselves as the living sacrifice. We need to be the free from the sin, confessing when we slip up and then move forward to our commitment in Christ restores us. Holy, being set apart, is really the life of obedience. It's a creative decision, folks. You are a different person when spiritual life is garnered from the new birth in Jesus Christ. When this happens, the spirit of truth is there to lead and to guide. This dedicated life will lead to service in the Lord. Hebrew, uh, Hebrews 13, or, yeah, 13, 5 says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever abandon you. You know what? We all need to see where we fit in the body of Christ. What part can we play? So pray about that. Pray about for the input, the, peace, the peace of the Holy Spirit. In uh, Matthew 7, I think Josh touched on it last week, ask, knock, seek. See, see what the Lord says and starts moving in that direction. God doesn't always reveal, in my experience, the whole panorama of your journey. 
And for some of us, it's been a while. <laughs> and, and he doesn't do it in one instance. But he does open doors for you and I to step through. He will show us day by day what we are to do. That is his provision. And so what is required of us in this message in Romans is our reasonable service. Some Bibles say spiritual service. That's what mine says. It can be rational as well. But the reasonable service or worship is service to God. And this implies an intelligent meditation or reflection without the hindrance of pagan practices like stated in 1 Corinthians 12.2. Can you imagine this? What Paul says to these people in Corinth, and they, had, they were doing, they, it was pretty messed up over there in Corinth. So he says to them, you know that when you were pagans, you, led, you were led astray to the dumb idols, however you were led. That's what he said. So we know that also he said in Isaiah that the worship that the church was giving him then, it wasn't acceptable. He was speaking basically about the rulers and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and basically untrue, unclean hearts. He was saying that you, there's nothing there that you can give me. When the decision is made to go all out for God, we need to put both feet across the threshold. Because if we don't, you and I are going to be struggling. We got one foot over here and one foot over there. We're going to be struggling with the pull of the Holy Spirit and the pull of the age of this world. Or this culture. But here's the thing. We've got to remember that whenever we gather into our service, our dedicated service for God, that service is always yoked with adoration and worship of the Lord. What a beautiful thing. I think service would be a little bit hard if we couldn't express our worship to the Lord, have our adoration before the Lord. I think it would be difficult. But if we know him, when we adore him, and we worship him, it makes it something that just stirs in your bones. So, we move on here. Roman 12, verse 1 is the decisive action to commitment, and Roman 12, verse 2 is about maintaining that commitment. And he says, do not be conformed to this world. Conforming means allowing the world to pressure you into being as they are. Conforming is directional from the outside in, inside your heart, your mind, your intellect, even your spirit can be affected. So every day, we need to put our lives into the hands of Jesus. We need his strength. We need his presence. We need the power of Holy Spirit. We can't do that if we're conforming to the world's way. And so we come to the next step, which is the do part. We got the do not do part in the do not conform, but now we're going to the transformation, the do part. And we need to be transferred. How? From the inside out. What did Romans 10.10 10 say? It says, for with the heart a person believes. We need to believe and take action. Oh, you might say in your mind, me? You want me to do that? You want me to be a children's church assistant? I don't know if I can do that. 
What about waiting? What about listening for the Holy Spirit to speak? What does the Holy Spirit say about it? And then go for it. It calls us to have a discipline in our lives. And we do that with, by the renewing of our minds. It takes out the old and puts in the new. You came to Jesus, out went the old, in came the new. I remember when we were building, Tyler got his first house and we were renovating it. It was an older house. And we took out lots of old <laughs> and put in some new. Good experience. So we take out all that stuff that's presently occupying our minds and we replace it with the mind of Christ. His word, his ways, his presence. And we submit to the renewing of the Holy Spirit as it states in, Tim, in Titus 3.5. We submit to that. You, can't, can, you cannot renew your mind, my mind. How about that? Uh, you cannot renew your mind without the abiding presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. I really truly believe that. Let me say that again. You cannot renew in your mind without the abiding presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.23 says, And that you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. How do we do this? Well, the word of God, listening, and the action of God coming into our spirits. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things are gone. And behold, new things have come. It allows us to move forward in our demonstration so that we can prove for yourself, myself, what is the will of God. If you want to know the will of God, you and I need to step into it. In other words, we engage. Are we afraid of what God will require of us? If so, you may never fulfill it. If there's a destiny for you and a purpose and you know it in your spirit but you're allowing fear to overcome you, that you never achieve that. It doesn't go away. God doesn't come along and says, okay, I'll come and give you a different one. I'll give you a different gift. He's unrepentant of that. He gives you uniquely something that's for you. Step into it. I remember when we were getting our first house when we were living in Penticton. We had four kids at the time, and we just really needed some place to live. And uh, I had gotten saved in December of that previous year, and this was about in February or January. And this guy in the church comes up to me and says, you need a house. And he was a builder. He says, you need a house. And uh, I said, yeah, right. You know, I've just tried to get a house here and there and everywhere, and I can't, the only thing I can find is junk and for what I can afford. I couldn't even get low-cost housing because I earned too much money. I was kind of in that place where it was a no-man's land. And he says, you know what? 
you know what, Tom? There's no good time for this thing. You just got to jump in. And he says, I'm coming over with a set of plans. We'll work out a set of plans. I thought, oh, okay. And, it's, you know, I was young in the Lord then. I didn't have as much knowledge as then as I, as I do now. But what came out of that is God made a way where we had to be actively engaged and he did some miracles along the way too. So what I'm saying with this is we, 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 we if we're thinking, I'm going to wait for the right time to do this. Really? Step into it, to God's will. You know what it is. So we shouldn't be waiting for that just right time. We take the step of courage, get over our fear, and start stepping into his will. And we should know this by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. If God is showing you his will, step into it. You know, he's faithful to help you to walk out the details of that in your life. You, you know, we just got this building at 7-7 Cedar. And uh, what a miraculous thing. And we prayed about it. And we knew that this is God's will for Pine Ridge Church. And we see something unfolding here. But do we have that picture that's going to tell us what happens 20 years down the road? No, we don't. We just don't know. But he shows us what we need today. And that's what we can depend on. It's always easier to look back and go, oh, wow, God is so amazing. And he is. But that's the beauty of this, that we can live in God's will if we want to. And once you've tasted of his goodness, well, you'll end up loving it, folks. You taste his goodness, you'll end up loving it. He said of the will of God, that it is good, that it is acceptable, and it is perfect. Let me ask you today, have you been pressured by the world and its ways? Remember this, nobody drifts into holiness. It just doesn't happen. You're not going to drift into holiness. It takes purpose and intent. And that's what Romans 12 calls us to do, exercise with purpose and intent. Let me ask you this question. Did God put you and me in this age? Yeah, we're here by virtue of being here. He put us in this age, all right. Let's choose to see, hear, and do his bidding. Amen? Amen, church? Amen. Thank you for uh, allowing me to share with you this morning. Be blessed in the Lord as you go today. Have fellowship with one with another. Encourage one another. Um, if there's anyone here who hasn't met Jesus, you didn't get here by accident today. And if you don't, haven't invited Jesus into your heart, I invite you to come up and we will gladly help you in that transition in your life to that new life in Jesus. Uh, if you need prayer, don't hesitate to come up. We'll have people here that will pray with you. So thank you. Bless you. Be released.